Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. So we got some uh, curious questions. And this question, and you're going to like this. Hello. Hello. This is from, uh, this is from Diana Robinson. She says, uh, I've been loving your podcast. Thank you, Diana. You had us at loving your podcast. Oh, that's nice. Um, I started listening recently. It's been entertaining me while I work a rather tedious temporary job. Mm. I love all the interviews and reminiscing about both band history and personal stuff. Aye. Anyway, I happened to glance up at my framed concert posters the other day and noticed that today, and this was back in April this question came in, um, it's 20 years ago that I got to see the Banshees two days in a row at two of my favorite venues in San Francisco mm. for the seven-year itch tour. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How has it been 20 years? It was so exciting. So many friends came up from LA and San Diego for the shows, and it was a blast. This prompted me to ask my question. Are there any venues that you loved playing at that are favorites? Maybe the sound, the crowd, the location, the history, etc. Uh, and then she encloses the poster, but, you know, our audience can't see it, but I'm going to no. show it to okay. you. There you go. So that's Oh, the yes, the, the poster that was done by the guy who did a lot of posters in the 60s. Yeah, she says, here's the poster, it's framed on my wall, and it's by one of my favourite poster artists, Rex Ray, who sadly passed away from cancer a few years ago. Oh, okay. He did all the Fillmore West posters for, like, Hendrix and the Grateful Dead and Janis Joplin. Yeah, okay. Now I know who he is. Mm. And um, We were put in touch with him or or something, and he was invited, yeah. Yeah. So, cheers. I look forward to more podcasts. Wow. Thanks, Dinah. Is that, yes. Yeah. Remember it well. Is it 20 years? Of course it is. It's 20 years, 2002, yeah. the seven-year itch. We'd kind of folded the whole thing up in 95 because right. apparently, I think the drummer apparently was a bit losing, losing it. <laughs> <laughs> they usually are. Yeah. Well, I, I, I could say, uh, you know, I felt okay. I felt fine in Mexico. Yeah. There was a few things going on, but I felt, I, you know, it's playing yeah. fine. Playing. Yeah. Right. What's the problem? Yeah, uh, exactly. Anyway, so we did. We went. That was it for a while. And Susie and I were got straight on with writing the next album, as we always did. Right. Just it, just it was just two of us. Um, right. That was interrupted, I think, twice, actually, because I think Batman Returns may have come along at some point. Yeah. Um, Do you remember that place that you played in San Francisco for that? Well, I'm just thinking, because what what happened was we got the offer to do Coachella Festival. Yeah. Yeah. 2002. And because it was seven years, we figured we we could do with a bit of a (laughs) warm-up. So we started on the East Coast. And we would, right. in San Francisco, what would be the venue? We played the, war, uh, the what do you call it, the Fillmore? The Fillmore. And right. also probably um, the Warfield in San Francisco, which is like a bigger yeah. old Art Deco theatre in the ten- Tenderloin right. District. 
right. uh, I kind of know it so well. I just sort of know where all the laundries are, and we always stayed at the same hotel. It was always on the edge of Chinatown somewhere. Right. Uh, loved playing San Francisco. We had friends there. The weather was yeah. always like you know, kind of it could be cold, kind of misty. It just and 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 San Francisco is a little bit of a like. We all wanted to be Steve McQueen in Bullet. <laughs> yeah. And the crew did rent a car and they all started driving around the streets and, you know, because the police were not going to, because everybody was doing that. If you came over, you're right. like a British band, watch out, going to rent a car yeah. and they're going to drive it crazily down the, the yeah. most crookedest street. But it, it just felt so different than anywhere else we'd been with, with the cable cars, maybe still working. I can't remember if it was at that point. Yes, it would be in 2002. Certainly wasn't when we first went there. Right. Uh, when we first went there, we'd play the I-Beam and we'd go into KUSF. Oh, I know I know the I-Beam. That's the first place I ever played in, yeah. in uh, San Francisco. So it was very much our kind of stomping ground. It's where we, we cut our teeth in America, pretty much a lot of gigs in New York, a lot on the West Coast. And that's where we made a lot of friends. Um, and we really felt like uh, America was not like a dream, but also uh, a place with a future in it, really, you know. Yeah, and that's exactly the way that I felt about it, because obviously it was my future, you know. I I ended up here, so. You you know, um, we could have all, and many of us did, you know. You've got a town full of our old friends. Yeah. (laughs) Steve Jones, Billy Duffy. Billy Idol, uh, you know, went to school with uh, Severin. It's, it's like everybody, there's a lot of people there. It, we, yeah, he might have gone to school with Severin, but he goes to my optometrists now. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> You've got to go somewhere, haven't you? Um, I guess so. I always felt that California especially. So you're gonna, you're just going to say the whole state for your <laughs> place to play. <laughs> that was my favourite venue, California. I liked California as a venue, yes, yes. It sort of fitted my uh, way of just je ne sais quoi. Uh, But I did. uh, That was a really nice theatre as well, if if I'm correct, and it was the Warfield. I can paraphrase um, Ronald Reagan, which I don't often do, but he said something to the effect of, California's not a place, it's a state of mind. Ooh, nice. Okay, on to the next question. This is, oh, it's another one for you, Miss Mr. B. Hey, Loll and Budgie. This is from Tobias Hawkins. Um, really loving the podcast so far. Uh, it's helping the days at work go by as I gradually get my own band going. Okay. I have a question for Budgie regarding oh, the performance. Oh, okay. Hold on. Here I am. I'm back. There I am. Sorry, I got lost in the war field. I was still in the war field. Woo! Okay. <laughs> So I have a question for Budgie regarding the performance Susie and the Banshees did for Hong Kong Television in 1982. There's footage on the show on YouTube where the band performs Israel and then interviewed by the hosts in Cantonese, Chinese. I found the whole affair really interesting to watch. I wonder if there was any interesting memories about being there, how the whole answering Chinese questions thing worked. I guess he wants to know how you communicated. Thank you both for providing the world with such wonderful, timeless music. And then he has two black hearts. Side by side. He says, all the best, Tobias. So, Thanks, Tobias. Know. Two black Thanks, hearts. Tobias. That's something special. 
So do you remember that? Hong Kong, 1982. I certainly do. Yes. Um, I remember buying some boots. Uh, they were uh, Chinese workmen's boots with uh, like four toes and the big toe would be separated. And so, oh. yeah, and they were they're specially designed because in Hong Kong at that time, there's a lot of building work going on. And the scaffold, yeah. the scaffolding up the side of these very tall buildings was made of bamboo, like whipped together right. with like bits of bamboo, thinner bamboo, I suppose. And these right. these boots enabled them to grip because they were soft soles, and you could grip with your toes. Wow. Now it wasn't because I wanted to be a bamboo climber, right. a bamboo scaffold climber, but I did find them very good for playing drums in. Well, it's funny you should say that because that particular style became a fashion a little while later here. And also, I know from playing taiko that those are the kind of shoes that taiko players use too. That's right. In a sort of softer version. It's yeah. like canvas uppers and a very thin rubber sole with this kind of right. little division between the big toe and the four little toes. So yeah. I brought like several pairs of those and we stayed at the Holiday Inn. Uh, on Kowloon, so it overlooked uh, the South China Sea. And downstairs in the Holiday Inn was uh, a table set aside for Kirk Douglas. Why Kirk Douglas? Apparently he was a regular visitor. Wow. Yeah, he liked, liked to go over to Hong Kong. Well, maybe it was just when he was there, he stayed at the Holiday Inn and they kept this table for him. And he was there that that afternoon. We were down for lunch. We looked over. And you had lunch with Kirk Douglas. Is this what you're going to tell me? Well, not exactly with him, but certainly opposite. Yeah, the, the, nearby. The big round tables that the, the, what do you call it, the central parts spun yeah. round like a record deck. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all the separate bowls went round in a circle, and you yeah. could pick like a bit like a yo sushi, only in circular form. Yeah. So was Kirk sitting on the other side of the table trying to spin the thing faster so he could get to his bit? First? Yeah, because he was in on his own table and another over <laughs> the other side of the room there. But he de- could def- definitely see the cleft in his chin. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. It was kind an amazing of, story. The whole thing was a little surreal. I remember with a friend of ours, and he's still around mixing sound for stiff little fingers, uh, me right. and, and, and friend Tony Selinger, and we sat on, because everybody shared rooms on those tours. Right. So <clears throat> I was sharing a room with Tony, and we sat on the edge of the, because the Holiday Inn always had two double beds, you remember? Yes. Single occupancy, two double beds, you really thought you'd made it. Uh, well, yeah, because you could one, put all your crap on the other bed. Yeah, one to sleep on, one to put crap on. Want to put crab on, yeah. Yeah, unless you got lucky. Well, there's always that. Yeah. But I didn't know what that meant at that time. You know, getting, <laughs> get, I was already so lucky, I couldn't get luckier. But here I was, and we sat on this bed, and we had a bottle of Jack Daniels, and we passed the bottle going, look. Are we where we think we are? Look. I think we are where we think we are, Budge. Brilliant. How did we get here, Tony? I said, I don't know. We just got on a plane. <laughs> it was so unlike anywhere else we'd been. I said that about San Francisco just before. But um, we were taken around. I don't actually remember playing. The, I do. I know where we played. We played at somewhere called the AC Hall. 
Well, at least you played there. I, I got to Hong Kong with the band on a sort of trip. You know, we, we stopped there for a couple of days, but I don't think I ever played there. Yeah, we definitely played. The place is still there. All right. So here's another one because we're rolling right along here on our curious <laughs> questions. It's all aimed um, at me. What's going on? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm this, a, next one, this next one's sort of uh, is, both of us. Is it more open, um, this one? Okay. Yeah. This is from Josephia, Josephina Sandberg. And she says, Hi, Lola Budgie. My name is Josephina Sandberg, nicknamed Joe. And I am 16. I'm from Fairview, Pennsylvania. I'm wondering what you guys think about the teenagers now who still worship the Kira and the Banshees. Are you surprised the kids are still listening to your music the way people were 40 years ago? Well, the Kira and the Banshees and other bands will be forever be iconic and so important to young people like me. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. Love, Joe. Amazing. Wow. That is. Thanks, Joe. It brings me to to that we were talking a few weeks ago to uh, our dear friend Will Sargent uh, oh, from yes. the Bunny. Yeah, and do you remember he made that uh, that observation about how people, you know, are still listening to the stuff we made forty years ago and digging it? And I was going to say digging it. Why would we want to say digging it? Because it's like from a generation before us. But man, they're digging yes. it. It is. They're digging it. I'm. Those I'm going to get. I'm. I'm. Let's color that '60s feel, all you know. Like yes, man, man, they're they're well. digging that stuff. Man, they're digging that stuff, and they <laughs> do. And, and and he said it would be kind of like when we were their age, listening to Glenn Miller or something similar, and thinking, "Wow, wow, man, that's really cool." And now, and of course, we we weren't really. You know, we were like maybe little bits of some from the past, but. We were kind of like, no, throw no, no Elvis, no Beatles, no Rolling Stones. You know, they're old hat. Let's get on with the new stuff. So it's very strange and weird for us a little bit to think that people are still involved with that our music all this while later. But you know what? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no. You can't. You can't be involved with it. I think you know, music is its own language, universal. And uh, maybe we hit a particular part of that part in most people's lives that we, we they st- it's still communicated to them. I think that's really it. Music communicates that. Yep. I just got I just got um, a photograph sent to me by a dear friend who you may know as Adamski. Yes. Okay, we met here in Berlin. Uh, yeah, Adam got married. I I was not his best man, but I ended up the only person who had a car <laughs> that day. Okay, and because um, there was a nice bicycle. Anyway, I, I so I drove Adam to his reception and uh, and his and his father as well, and they were talking about it with the son of. The son of the son of somebody <laughs> over in New York, and the picture is like there's there's the uh, Adam and his wife and this other chap and his son who's seventeen and the seventeen year old son is wearing a Susie and the Banshees shirt, and he wow. goes, ah, "That's a nice shirt." He says, "I know that I know the drummer. He was at my wedding." And he's right. no, that's no, it's impossible. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I just thought, how cool. I mean, it's just so cool that a cool 17-year-old is wearing, it's not like an original shirt, but it's a shirt that right. says, the Banshee's on it, you know, and like 17. And I thought, when you were just saying about Will, and I thought about that conversation, that when we were looking for, if you like, inspiration, we wouldn't necessarily no. be looking like to Patti Smith or even the Velvet Underground all the right. time. We sometimes right. went back to those things that we saw on television that we were talking about just before from 1930, 1940. Movies right. like Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. You know, these like Saturday night dramas you'd see from America usually. But also things like uh, Busby Barkley. And these yeah. big gold diggers of 1940. I remember even having the record. And it was something to do with the quality of the recording, the tinniness of it. And it, it was like you were looking for something to steal in a way. And it wasn't, it wasn't like you're going to walk around with a 1940s T-shirt on going, like I'm into like no. Busby Barkley. But right. I, I could, I can get it really somehow. Maybe what we were just talking about with an old, an album that was done forty years ago, right? That it couldn't be done that way, and something about it has a magic quality that you can't find in, mo in a modern recording. And maybe that's what somebody coming to music for the first time is going to liken to and go, "This is cool." <laughs> I've not heard anything like this recently because <laughs> they've not heard very much. Right. Or the more obvious route is the way we found out stuff is by rooting through your older brother's record collection or yeah, getting yeah. that you know that box of albums that you've no idea what's in there, but somebody was selling yeah. it. But this is, this is not rooting through your older brother's record. This is rooting through your mum and dad's record collection, you know. A lot of times, you know, I would be doing the book to, and somebody would come up and they'd be, you know, I don't know, a young person, and they'd go, Oh, could you sign my book for me? And I go, well, that's great. Do you, you like the book? They said, uh, it's my dad's. <laughs> you know, so I'm getting it from my, my dad. dad's a big fan of yours. Yours, yes. You know. we got quite soon. We're gonna. My my granddad thinks you're really cool. Yeah. So you know, it's like uh, it, it's not deflating, but it's a little bit. You know, you start to realize, hey, your time waits for no man, right? No, I say, lol. We're just we're just wait, waiting for the moment to roll round, aren't we? Absolutely, we are. Here's the um, here's the next one from Rob Dixon. Hi, Budgie and lol, curious creatures. So he's hey. decided that's what our name is now. Our, our last name is Curious Creatures. I like so that. So we are Bud Budgie, curious creatures, and lol, curious creatures. Okay. Very good, very good, very much. <laughs> it's a bit like that uh, that cult, you know, with. Uh, Everybody's last name's uh, mm. Aquarius, you know. So, hi, hi, Budgie and lol, curious creatures. Yes. Living not too far from the old Surrey sound site, which is now, can you guess what it is now? Well, it was a dairy. Uh, Surrey yeah. sound is now probably uh, kindergarten or some kind of school. Just think, just think what Surrey brings to mind. Yeah. Horses. Mm. Yeah, Epsom yeah, Racecourse, not, not far. Okay, um, it's not bad, but it is now, in fact, car, car showroom. 
garage cricket equipment shop which, which, you know, <laughs> why was i not going to get that i don't know right. well but you know sorry you know land of tennis clubs and cricket clubs and stuff yeah yes sorry you know, our american yes. listeners wouldn't yes. get that no they wouldn't yeah. know at all the sound of leather on willow <laughs> leather on willow yes what would you say is your proudest recording achievement or story Oh my so what's goodness! Your, your proudest recording story. So they're they're based near the old Surrey Sound Studios in Leatherhead, or wherever yeah. it actually was. Yeah, yeah. And they're asking yeah. us for the, the kind of moment moment, is, moment in time was, before it was a cricket shop, right? Yes, That's yes. Okay, well, it has to be what I've just been talking about. Back in time, a little bit to the first time I was in Surrey Sound. Yeah. And I just joined up with Susan the Banshees, and we were embarking yeah. on what would be the third album, uh, Kaleidoscope. Yeah. And there was a song roughly based on a film by Roman Polanski. Right. Called Tenant. Yes. Uh, I that. We're getting yeah. there. And they had a beatbox. Susie and Severin had written a lot of stuff with beatbox. Right. So. Susie was fleshing out the vocals. Severin had a guitar part. And so I played the bass. So wow. one of the first things I did on Kaleidoscope was I was allowed to play the bass. It was like there was no restriction then. That's kind of weird, right? The, the sort of roles got set in stone somewhere along the line after that. Yeah. It's funny how you, you say that because... When we were doing 17 seconds, we decided, like, well, one track, hey, let's just swap our instruments around and play something. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I can't remember whether I played guitar or... Do you remember what track something. it was? Well, I think it was going to be um, either a reflection or something like that. We, we, it was something that was instrumental. But you know what? I think we recorded some. I don't think we ever used it. It's probably... Mm-hmm. Hedges has probably got a cassette of it somewhere still. We'll so go around his you, house. Yeah, you avid collectors, you know, if you bug bug Mr. Hedges for yeah. But that was to me that was like a, a moment of I don't know, just it, again, serendipity. It just so happened. You know, I'd always played drums, I'd messed around on a guitar, I didn't know how to play the bass, but it didn't matter. Mm. Uh, I just played one note and that one right. note sufficed for tenant and it, I, I could I right. wasn't one note, it was one string. I didn't bother right. with the other three. I just kept on the E string. Yeah. Well, you don't really need any, any other three. No, you don't need me. You know, the other three, they're kind of like, okay, you know. Yeah. Just pick a string and just play the whole song on one string. That's kind of a good, uh, kind of like one of Brian Eno's oblique strategies. Yes. You know, cut the other strings off. <laughs> Choose a string and play the whole song on that. Okay. So that that would be it. So that would be it down in Surrey Sound. Do, 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 does okay. it? Is it only Surrey Sound? Are we actually uh, restricted to that one place, Law? Because you 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 didn't record at Surrey Sound, but you did record at many other London studios. Yeah, my favourite recording place. Um, I like recording the um, "Kiss Me" in Miravel in the south of France. Wow! Yeah. Because it was, you know, it was just a great place to be and create. There was a fair bit of nonsense went along with it as well, but you know, you were there a long time, right? Months, 
months. Wow. Yeah. So you so, you decamped to the to the yeah we decamped to there. southern and there France. Was nobody, there was nobody on site except us and and uh, Dave Allen and mm. and uh, Patrice, the engineer. Of course, it was France, so he would be called Patrice. Would it have been uh, a different adventure had you had like regular visits from the record company, somebody watching the clock saying, come on, you guys, go on. Yeah, yeah, maybe. We did have one visit from our uh, erstwhile head of label, uh, publisher, stroke manager, <laughs> um, Chris Perry. And he came down. <laughs> the he man with down. many hats. Man with many hats. He sailed his. Well, he was a yachtsman as well. He yes. had a yacht, which you know one might surmise that he got from you know um, working with us. And he uh, sailed his yacht down into Nice Harbour. Oh, I know it and, well. Yes. Yeah. And from there, he came up to see us in the studio, and then, and then he had. We'd just done that film for Curing Orange, mm. and so him and uh, Mr. Pope, who you met again recently, just recently, yes, Tim Pope, yeah, yeah. So, so Tim and him had hired this theatre, you know, this cinema in the middle of Nice, for us all to go and have a look at the film, the rough cut of the film. So, you know, we had a day off from the studio. We went down to Nice, a, a jolly good dinner. And then we, uh, you know, with all of that, that, and then we went to see our own movie, which was pretty exciting. And then the yachtsman that uh, Chris was, he said, oh, you should come over to my boat and have a look, you know. So we did. And we went sailing around the harbour. And then at some point, he he was, uh, he, he made the, a very big mistake and gave me the wheel of the, of the yacht. Not a, not not probably. What what time of the uh, would this be? Like five o'clock in the evening? Yeah, it was a bit later than that. It was it was probably after some some imbibing had gone on. Let's say that yes, anyway. Yes. And um, you know, sometime it, after the after eight mints had been passed around. Yeah, sometime later than that. And then coming out on the uh, harbour, I uh, you know I I took the boat out for about three hours before he could actually wrest control of it and get us all back. <laughs> It, it was not. There was a lot of seasickness going on. I do remember that, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't make it off the boat that night. You know, everybody else got picked up by the uh, the band bus and taken away, and I was confined to my cabin, you know, on the boat. And now I woke up the next morning and like, uh, where am I? And we'd actually sailed round in the interim periods to Antibes, which is quite close, right? Okay, and, and uh, I woke up. First of all, I woke up to see all the, the rugs that were on the ship that were being hosed off on the on the uh, on the quayside because they they had you know the after effects of uh, seasickness. You know. Oh dear, dear, dear! Yeah. Oh yes. And, and then, then a, a, a little French man with a bike came along and stole them all and stuck them on his bike and cycled off with them. And which all to the tune of "Hooray!" and up she rises, yeah. "Hooray!" <laughs> and the best part of that was on our team. There was there was Simon Lebon. His oh yacht, yes, his yacht was there, so I went and had a look at that. They must have done something right, mustn't they, Duran Duran? Well, I think so because it was rather a nice boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. 
digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.